Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. What do the following have in common? Ghost beads, biotic communities, gin, tree masticators, pueblo and diapers, charcoal, folklore, historic explorers, spiral grain, tree life cycle, spirituality, pack rat middens, climate changes, wildfire, ranching, wilderness, and land management policies. The answer is the juniper tree. In her new book, Interwoven, Junipers and the Web of Being, Kristen Rogers Iverson says that throughout prehistory and history, junipers have influenced ecosystems, cultures, mythologies, economics, politics, environmental controversies. She argues that in terms of their effects on human lives, the juniper may be the most significant tree in the interior West. Kristen Rogers Iverson is an award-winning author who's worked as an independent editor and writer, as a therapeutic musician for hospice patients, and as an editor, writer, and administrator with the Utah Division of State History. She holds an MFA in creative writing from University of Utah and is a certified music practitioner. Kristen Rogers Iverson, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you, Tom. Thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. Before we jump into the uh, the book, I'm reading from your acknowledgments. You acknowledge your parents, Bill and uh, Donna Smart. Is this is this Bill Smart, uh, longtime editor of Desert News? It is, and as a matter of fact. Um Sadly, he died last week. Yeah, I read that. So, I was reading the the obituaries, the, the, the stories, so I'm sorry for your loss. Um, yeah, he was a huge influence on me and um, introduced me to junipers, for sure. When I was 10, we took a trip to the Colorado Plateau, my first one I remember. and But it was the first of many, and um, he was a, a great journalist and a great lover of our world, so... Yeah, this is a side of Bill Smart I hadn't uh, known. Of course, investigative journalist and uh, you know legendary in Utah. But uh, you you acknowledge your parents for taking you on uh, uh, jaunts into the juniper country. Yeah. Um, well, the first one I have to say was extremely special. Uh, Bates Wilson, who I'm sure many of your listeners know, was the superintendent of Arches and. Canyonlands, when Canyonlands was first created, he invited my dad down as a journalist. And um, the family got to go, and we, he took us all over the place. And that was the experience that kind of put my heart down there on the, in the desert of Utah. And I just um, spent so many times walking around junipers and um, marveling at them. You, so, you you uh, you t- tackle head-on what uh, might be some pushback in your first sentence. I want to read this. Uh, you say, I love trees. Who doesn't? But junipers don't particularly stand out. They don't please crowds like flowering cherries tree or, or uh, giant sequoias or those widespreading live oaks in the south. Junipers don't offer anything like almonds or oranges. What could there be to learn about such a plain Jane tree? <laughs> what, mm-hmm. what What is there to learn about such a plain Jane tree? You know, I had no thought of learning about them until suddenly this uh, this desire to learn about them just popped into me, and um, I became pretty geeky. I just would read every, all the studies I could find and um, and literature and looking at them, being in them. I I just couldn't stop being interested in them and there is so much to so much about them they're connected with our human history and cultural 
um, ideas and spiritual ideas and our uh, our economy and our politics. <laughs> and so putting it all together in a book was, I didn't know how it could happen, but it all it all is there, these the wonderful things I learned. There's so much. Uh, of course, the title of the book is Interwoven. Uh, I want to read another sentence from the book. Uh, what would you learn if you investigated um, beneath, around, and through the uh, surface appearance of one thing? So this, I guess, is an experiment of sorts. You chose the juniper tree. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so much of the time we're just kind of sleepwalking through the world. I know I am. And I know many of us have just, um, with junipers and with many other things, we just go by them. But if you take one thing and explore it on many levels, I found that it's made me more aware of the world around me in a more deeper way. Whenever I go into an experience deeply, it changes me. Um, But... I learned to understand how the interconnections between us all go on and on. And so kind of it's very expansive to explore one thing, which sounds kind of paradoxical, Mm. but um, we're so connected with everything. And this book can't even begin to express these interrelationships, but it does help. As glimpse that we're kin to everything. Yeah, that's that's the title of one of the chapters. I think the last chapter, um, we're kin to everything. That interrelationship. We'll explore a lot of these strands. Uh, maybe we could start with this one thing: the uh, the juniper tree. It's related, I understand, to the redwood, the sequoia, cedars. Uh, yes, but they parted ways some time ago, millions of years ago. <laughs> um, but the, there's lots of juniper species around the world, and they're very widespread. They're, um, in some people's view, and I don't know if you can prove this, they're the most widespread genus in the world. So and uh, found lots of places. Yeah, and, and quite hardy. There's you know junipers in many places and uh, kind of arid places. You have a picture in the book of a, uh, a Utah juniper growing out, out of the side of a cliff on Stansbury Island in, in the Great Salt Lake. I guess the juniper roots can navigate through some, some very stony places. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, they grow in the most severe places. Um, and, um, yeah, the roots themselves go way down and, and try to find water. But... The tree itself has this uh, lots of strategies for surviving in dry places. I don't know if you want to talk about that now. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing. I, there's a reason there's junipers in in very arid places. Yeah, they're one of the most drought tolerant species around. Um, they, of course, they've got kind of the the small leaves that don't lose water and. They've got the roots that pick up water, but they have this uh, ability um, to withstand a lot of stress as the water is flowing upward. Um, 
and in some trees, if the pressure, if there's not enough water, there's a lot of um, strain on that column of water that's flowing upward to the leaves, but the juniper has strengthened the cells in that part of the tree, the xylem, that helps prevent it from rupturing. So when there's not that much water, but it's, there's, there's um, uh, the water's Going up the xylem, it doesn't break. If it does rupture, then that part of the tree dies, or the whole tree dies. I'm not sure if I... Uh, yeah, yeah, cer- certainly, certainly, yeah. Uh, apparently, the taproot can go down, I don't know, 15 feet or something. Uh, you mean the... The, the, the taproot, yeah. And, the, and then it... Uh, and there, there are pictures in the book where the, the, the roots are exposed, you know, in very stony stony places, cliffs and, and such. Sure, sure. They'll, if, if they uh, come out of the ground, then they have to dive back down. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't, I would think a lot of your listeners have seen this in junipers and, uh, and other trees. I want to get into um, you know, how, how we see the natural world as representations of ourselves, how we see ourselves in the natural world uh, using juniper tree. Uh, do you have your book with you? Yeah. I wonder, on page 23, uh, you have a quote from Edward Abbey. Mm. And he's, yeah, he, uh, he has a favorite juniper tree, I guess, out in Arches National Monument. Mm-hmm. It was right by his trailer. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Uh, Do you want me to read that Yeah, I wonder if you could read that quote, yeah. Um, First of all, um, he felt a real connection to this tree, as you say. So he says, My favorite juniper stands before me, glittering shaggily in the sunrise, ragged roots clutching at the rock on which it feeds, rough dark boughs bedecked with a rash, with a shower of turquoise-colored berries. A female... This ancient grandmother of a tree may be 300 years old. I've had this tree under surveillance ever since my arrival at Arches, hoping to learn something from it, to discover the significance in its form, to make a connection through its life with whatever falls beyond, have failed. The essence of juniper continues to elude me unless, as I presently suspect, its surface is also the essence. Two living things on the same earth respiring in a common medium. We contact one another, but without direct communication. Intuition, sympathy, empathy, all fail to guide me into the heart of this being, if it has a heart. Hmm. So Edward Abbey is kind of going back and forth in his mind, right? Uh, is, is this just what it is? Is it metaphor? What, what does it mean? And, and he's also uh, contemplating himself and this living being which preceded him and will will last long after him, both both coexisting in that spot. Yeah, uh, and that kind of... Uh, he captures so well what it's like to make a connection with, with a tree or some part of this earth um, because it really does open up a lot of introspection to me, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, want to, I love his writing. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so um, 
anyway, he wasn't the first one to be looking at juniper this way. It's been a part of so many cultures, and there are stories and myths and um, and uses of the juniper that transcend what we could imagine just uh, as we drive past them on the freeway. I want to get into um, I want to get into some of those. Let's take a break and then we come back. I want to uh, uh, maybe we could start in the next uh, segment with a, there's a grim fairy tale. It's called it's titled uh-oh. From the Juniper. <laughs> it's pretty spectacular yeah. even by grim standards. Uh, I'll have you recount that and I hadn't been familiar with this and uh, maybe other folk traditions connected uh, with with the juniper talk about much else of course the book is interwoven junipers and the web of being the author Kristen Rogers Iverson is with us more following this break Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have with us uh, Christian Rogers Iverson, author of an interesting new book, Interwoven, Junipers and the Web of Being. It's out from University of Utah Press. So she joins us uh, from was Salt Lake City area, Christian Rogers Iverson? Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, let's, so um, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the phone, uh, phone line there is a little bit uh, scratchy. Um, Let's see. Did we did we get you off of speakerphone? How's that? That that's yeah, sounding a little better. Um, so I wonder if um, if you could recount this. This is a grim fairy tale that I had not been familiar with. It's titled "From the Juniper." I hadn't either, and wow, <laughs> it's a doozy. So um, there's this woman and her husband who long for a child as many stories start, and she would go out beneath the juniper tree, who, which was by their house, and long for this child. And um, interestingly enough, in the Germanic culture, the juniper was seen as a portal to the spiritual world. So um, this it makes sense that she was kind of asking this juniper, and this is this ancient story, according to the Grim Brothers, and so she uh, one time becomes pregnant, and uh, she eats some berries, and she wishes that oh, I'm, I can't remember exactly what she wished, but she uh, she has a baby, and she wishes to be buried under the tree because she dies in childbirth, and so there she is, and she's. You know, I see it as that she kind of becomes merged with this tree, this motherly tree. And, um, of course, the father marries again, an evil stepmother, and who has a little girl, a little daughter. And this mother hates the boy that she has to raise. So she schemes on how to get rid of him, and she um, he comes in and asks for an apple. And she says, well, just go get an apple yourself. And she's got this big chest with apples, and he reaches in and slams the, the lid shut, and his head is cut off. This I, We should have done a sort of a warning. Right, a, a disclaimer, yeah. <laughs> disclaimer, yeah. Um, and, well, she sets him up with uh, the head on the body and... Uh, an apple in his hand. She ties a little scarf around it so you don't see 
Well, her daughter comes in asking for an apple. And she says, well, ask your brother. And the little girl goes to get the apple from the brother, and he doesn't answer, and she kind of bops him on the head, and the head falls off. So she thinks he's killed him. And anyway, it ends up that the mother cooks the boy, serves him to the father. But the, the juniper part is that this this girl gathers up the bones, and she's just sobbing and and weeping and mourning, and she takes them beneath the tree and buries them there. And the tree starts to kind of undulate and move and um, almost like it's giving birth. And this bird flies out, this, this bird that is the soul of the boy. And to make a long story short, um, he goes and sings this beautiful song about how his mother killed him. To people and get some gifts, and one of the gifts is a millstone, which he throws down on the grandmother, on the stepmother, from the tree, and kills her. And then there's smoke, and it, you know the smoke is actually a mysterious uh, thing that's that stands for the spiritual world. And out of the smoke, this boy comes resurrected, and they all live happily ever after. Hmm. And that is this story that I think has been in consciousness of um, people from old times and it's probably changed over the years, but that's how it came down to the Grimm brothers. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's from Europe, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure there are other uh, folk traditions, uh, stories associated with juniper trees. What uh, what else did you, did you find? Um, absolutely. There are... Um, well, in Europe, there's uh, uh, the stories of how Mary took shelter under a juniper tree, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, as they were flying, fleeing to Egypt. So it became part of Christmas traditions to bring juniper boughs into the house. Um, there is a tree, I found this online, at the um, tourist site for the country of Tajikistan, or the, that area, there is a juniper tree where you would tie um, your wishes onto the tree. You'd tie a piece of cloth that would represent something you wish for. So really, it had a lot of power in that part of the world in terms of um, uh, being a protector to the Germans, being a something that watches over people. Um, And then in other areas, for instance, in the Hopi places, um, it's it's used, the smoke is used, it's another portal to connect with the spiritual world. Um, In Nepal, they have shrines that have, by juniper trees. Um, They have uh, the use of in the native tribes around here, it's used to ward off evil, um, evil spirits. Uh, the smoke is used for prayers. Um, the Sumerians and the Babylonians used the juniper smoke as they worshipped their gods and goddesses. Um, and actually, long ago in uh, 
the Lascaux Cave in southwest France. They found a bowl. This is one of those caves where there's the cave paintings. They found a bowl where that had uh, the remains of juniper in it, and they sort of surmised that this was used in ceremonies at that time, 15,000 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, the, so, illustrating the, how ancient this, uh, you know, this tree is. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with the, um, the aromatic nature of the smoke mm-hmm. and the tree itself. It kind of has a spiritual feel, it seems like, for people. You mentioned a connection to Christmas, um, and you you recount in your book an experience of your own family. Made a, yeah. could, could you tell us the transition? You you used to have tradition of going to Hebrew City, which I know very well, um, and uh, getting a permit for quote unquote regular Christmas tree. At some point, you do, somebody decided let's, uh, let's let's go get a juniper. What? Uh, well, t- we actually decided to get a pinion. Oh, a pin! Oh, that's uh, right, a pinion. Yes, because I didn't make it. I don't know. I don't know if you all have gone to stand in line for these permits, but it's gotten pretty uh, hard to get a permit these days for a fir tree. But so one time, I just didn't do it, and so my dad again said, "Well, why don't we try to get a pinion?" And so um, I think we called around and went and got a permit down in Price and drove up into Nine Mile Canyon to find a pinion, which we couldn't find. And um, we looked and looked, and it was getting dark, and we decided, well, uh, we could also get a juniper, they said, which would have never occurred to us. But um, we looked around and found some that seemed pretty cool, and we took them back, and... I don't even want to say this because I don't want to get everybody doing this, but it, <laughs> going out in the desert um, every year since then for juniper is just an incredibly wonderful experience. So, so what, what is it about like what is it about the juniper that you now prefer for for Christmas tree? Um, well, I just think they. Are, I don't know. I think obviously I have a connection with that tree. But they've got the shaggy bark and the kind of the bunchy leaves, and the definitely not symmetrical. And um, sometimes there's berries on them, and uh, they just they just make me happy. And I think a lot of it has to do with tradition. Hmm. You know, uh, all those years, right? Uh, bound up with your with your family, and uh, yeah, you you right. mentioned you mentioned the the the, the odor as well. It's uh, been prized, I guess that could be part of it as well. Um, the odor, oh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder, uh, you tell me, you, you were telling me before about some um, connections, Native Americans, especially in the, in, in the West, American West. Um, and you mentioned uh, USU Zone, Barry Tolkien, and uh, he, he, he talks about ghost beads. Tell, tell me about ghost beads. Yeah. Well, um, he... Uh, Oh, are you there? Yes. Are you there? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, if I'm holding it to my ear, sometimes I hit the flash button. That okay. The line, so. um, he spent some time living with a Navajo family, and he said that they 
would never go anywhere without ghost beads. Now, a ghost bead is the seed of the juniper that an animal or an insect has made a hole in, and then um, people would connect, collect those Navajos especially, and uh, put a hole in the other end and string them into beads. And they, as I have been told, where people would put them over the necks of their children to protect them. Um, they would uh, be worn as you're walking around to protect you from evil influences. And according to Barry Tolkien, um, his Navajo sister told him this, the beads represent the partnership between the tree that gives its berries, the animals which gather them, and the humans who pick them up. It's a three-way partnership, plant, animal, and man. Thus, if you keep these beads on you and think about them, your mind, in its balance and nature, will lead a healthy existence. And I love that because um, it kind of expresses, if we really keep that connection to the natural world and that balance, then that leads us to a healthy existence. Um, in my belief, both as a individuals and as a culture. Uh, we also said it made them uh, have good dreams and keep them from getting lost. So <laughs> I have some ghost beads with me now. Oh, you do? Ah. Yeah. yeah. And that's a connection to, I guess, experiences and a connection to the natural world? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, and I tell this story of... Uh, a woman that we got to know on the reservation who gave me my first um, uh, necklace of ghost beads. She was just a little tiny woman who uh, didn't speak English, but um, her husband had given me a, a blessing, and she gave me this blessing of these tree of these beads, uh, which were an incredible gift so that I know she had made. If you just joined us, we're talking with Kristen Rogers Iverson. Her book from University of Utah Press is called Interwoven Junipers and uh, the Web of uh, Being. Um, I wonder if you could uh, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, some people believe that or have believed that the juniper has medicinal qualities. You uh, talk about a Nicholas Culpepper, 1600s. Yeah, and he's, he's from Europe. But so fascinatingly, he wrote a whole book about the uses of plants. And the uses that he used, or that he suggested for junipers, are very close to the same ones that Native Americans use them for. So I'll just tell you a few of these. Um, there's, it, he said they are a resistance of pestilence, and they provoke urine exceedingly, and they strengthen the stomach, expel wind, they're admirable good for cough, shortness of breath and consumptions, pains in the belly, ruptures, cramps, and convulsions. They give safe and speedy delivery to women with child, strengthen the brain exceedingly. Uh, as I read that, I realize I need to get some of that. Help the memory, uh, fortify the sight, gout and sciatica, hemorrhoids, kill worms, cure itch, scabs, and leprosy. Anyway, all kinds of great things, <laughs> which, who knew? 
<laughs> and knew? I have to say, don't go out and do this based on my advice, please. It's right. just a book. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. So do you, um, I, I don't know if you're at that page, you know, 70, 71. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you could read that paragraph, top of 71. You, you, you make a contrast between... Uh, the, you know, these kind of beliefs that Nicholas Culpepper had and uh, and us today sometimes were skeptical. Yeah, okay. All of those virtues in one homely plant sound fantastical. But then again, what do we know? We go about our indoor lives of working, eating, and sleeping. We who pass through nature occasionally, remarking on beauty or thrilling ourselves with speed and bumps provided by gravity, wind, or fossil fuel who get a little fresh air and exercise and then go back inside and take a pill or vitamin or drink for whatever ails us. Culpepper, on the other hand, spent his life walking the countryside, learning to know plants firsthand and intimately, and treating thousands of patients with these plants. So we may at least be open to the possibility of juniper's medicinal qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, lo- I love that line, and it you know, describes uh, much of my life. We... Um, we we go outside, we get a little nature, and we come back in and take a pill or, or vitamin. Yeah, um, uh, I know. So so you say. Unfortunately, that, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, it's just how uh, things have evolved in our society. That's just how kind of we have to live. But um, I'm hoping that we can all maybe become more native to the natural world, be out there more, and. Um, helping it survive, preserving it, conserving it, um, becoming more aware of and connected with it. So that's kind of what I hoped would happen with this book. Um, is, is that something you, I guess, you try to do in your personal life? You, you live in Salt Lake, do you? Uh-huh. But, um, but, yep, you, so. but, you, but you try to get out. I'm, I'm well, thinking. don't we all? Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> well, not and, not not all, but uh, I guess a lot of us. Well, I guess we don't. But yeah. uh, you know, for me, and I think for everybody, you know, once they do it, you, there is nothing that can compare to um, being in nature. And I guess we could move on to say a little bit about forest bathing. I was just going to go there. Yes, you've intuited that very that? well. Yes, uh, <laughs> this is Japan, and you you uh, you say it's you know, it's, it's kind of a stressful life in, in many uh, Japanese cities. In fact, you mentioned the uh, the what the shovers, people with white gloves, shove you into the into the train. So yeah, tell me about tell me about forest bathing. Yeah, I think this is getting more well known, but um, they have a thing called Shinrin Yoku. I believe it's called in Japanese, forest bathing. And the idea is to go out into the forest, and, you know, it's nothing different than what we can do and do do sometimes. But um, often when we go through the into the mountains, maybe we're hiking with somebody and chattering or, or we're um, just trying to get to the peak or whatever. But what they do is go and open up their senses to the whole environment around them. They'll touch, and they may make tea out of um, some safe uh, leaf and drink that, or just sit and listen and um, hear what's going on far away or close by. 
see what's moving around you. Um, and they, the Japanese government in different places has actually established forest bathing reserves where people go and just have that experience. And um, forest bathing is supposed to, of course, lower your um, stress level, um, strengthen your immune system, um, lower your blood pressure, and increase your your thinking ability and your empathy, reduce your anxiety and anger. And of course, I mean, it's, it just makes natural sense, but we don't take time to do that so much. Um, see, I, this, I found that some people report that forest bathing increases their intuition, their energy, deepens their relationship, and their general happiness. So I have to keep reminding myself of that all the time. When I'm, when I'm in nature and my mind's just going a million miles an hour, as I'm processing whatever happened, to just be there. And that's it's advice we get from every quarter these days, but we don't do it very much. We don't do it very much, and it's it could be hard. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you, uh, page 173, you this, this struck me as it's in the same chapter you talk about forest bathing, and it's strikes me as a personal example of yours of, I don't know if you'd call it strictly forest bathing, but sort of toward that, uh, you know, you're, you are trying to get out. You're trying to just be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's uh, uh, three paragraphs there. Okay. Well, um, recently I went up to the foothills to sit among scattered old junipers high above the Salt Lake Valley. And we actually call this our Zen garden. It's just a place with scattered junipers. The scrub oak had dropped most of their leaves, and a breeze shivered shivered the dried grasses and the late-blooming asters. The noise of traffic rose up from below, but here the trees stood quiet. Dried purple-brown cones and twigs covered the ground. Citizens down below were going places and doing things. As I sat among the junipers, I let go of all the juniper knowledge letting curiosity and the present moment take over. The junipers did what they always do, standing all around. They let me be. I've come to accept that we, individually and collectively, must deal with facts, controversies, decisions, crises, sorrows, injustice, and drudgery. But in order to deal with them well, we would do well to go into the forest. And I'll just stop there to say that's a quote from Jung, um, who advised a friend of his to just go into the forest. For there, we experience life's mysterious and interwoven wholeness. We can regain a clarity that is too easily clouded over by today's unending demands and information, books, studies, media, meetings, and posts. Whatever our roles may be in relationship to junipers or any other inhabitants of the world, Truly being in the natural world may help us see what we could not see before. As for me, when I descended the foothills that day, I was more aware, more sane, maybe even a little more kind for a couple of hours for having sat quietly among my kin. Beautiful. Uh, Inspiring. You know, it makes me want to get out in the forest, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. 
after this conversation. Um, a couple of follow-ups. You say that you, as you sat among the junipers, you let go of all the juniper knowledge. I guess that could be a, a hazard of the of studying juniper. If you sit among junipers, you would uh, then think about the all the facts about junipers. But at that point, you're just you're just trying to be. Yeah, um, which I just think is so important. But all the juniper facts and stuff there. <laughs> They're fascinating. There's just so many great stories I found. So it, I think when you go out there and you have you have a sense of how um, some part of the world has interacted with people before you and how it's affecting the environment it's in, and you and you have a big sense of how it's well. There's no way to know exactly how they how any organism lives it's just mysterious and wonderful but having that sense um kind of widens my ability to feel at kin with people with um, these trees and other parts of the natural world so it's kind of like being with a loved one i might know a whole lot about that person's life but i can just be with that person and not be thinking about past history, but that past history informs that moment of being with them. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. By the way, um, you referenced Carl Jung. I, I was surprised to have a reference Carl Jung in, in a, you know, sort of in reference to nature. I, I in my mind, he's, it's very, he, he and his ideas are very urban, uh, but he did advise his friend to go into the forest. Yes, and, um, I can't, not sure if I remember the context of that, but I think the friend was coming to him for advice, and he just said, um, sometimes a tree can tell you more than can be read in books. So, uh, absolutely, <laughs> in a different way, hmm. uh, being with a tree it opens up our, our hearts to wisdom. Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, how the juniper tree has been the center of public lands disputes and this polarization that we have. And you talk about that, and uh, I want to get your perspective on that polarization and and how maybe that might be narrowed a little bit. Uh, We'll talk about that um, following this. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Kristen Rogers Iverson. Uh, she is an award-winning author. She's worked as an independent editor and writer and as a therapeutic musician for hospice patients, as an editor, writer, and administrator with Utah Division of State History. And her book from, uh, her latest book from the University of Utah Press is called Interwoven, Junipers and the Web of Being. So uh, I want to talk about uh, land, public land disputes, how we manage our lands, and uh, it's, it seems to be just getting more and more polarized. I'll read this sentence from uh, page 135. When it comes to junipers, Kristen Rogers Iverson writes, the fighting is over their removal from public lands, treatment in the language of removers, or deforestation in the language of their opponents. Um, and uh, a part of this is... Uh, fire suppression, right? Or, or uh, trying to prevent fires? That's part of this. Uh, yes. The way I understand it, the whole um, relationship of uh, 
management to junipers has kind of evolved over time. At first, there was it was a lot about grazing, clearing out trees to create more rangelands, and and now it's more there's a, there's some sage grouse stuff, and then fire management is a big part of of when people are taking out trees. So there have been fights about chaining, cabling, you know, the ways that the, the trees are removed. And this is uh, Pinion Juniper Country, right? PJ. I, I learned that, <laughs> those initials, uh, yeah. from, from your book. Uh-huh. Uh, now, now I'll sound very smart, I guess, in these, in these discussions. <laughs> um, but, um, and I guess, is this current? But it, it, I guess it evolved to, the technology evolved to big machines which sort of mulch the, the trees, yeah, they're called masticators, or uh, the the trade name is bullhogs. But the ca- the chaining that happened in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of controversy over that. It just clear out the whole swath of of you know acreage of junipers and the plants that were with them, and it was it was pretty destructive. So now they can go in and take out trees one by one, which is more expensive, but um, it turns them into oh, just chips and shreds. It's amazing. Uh, I went out and saw this, and uh, there's this drum uh, on the end of a, an arm that's got these spikes or something, and it's going really fast, and they'll just put it over the tree, and it's zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz
8,765 acres in the Muddy Creek Orderville watershed. So that was done by Canab. And they were saying they were going to er- decrease erosion that and decrease the number of the, the amount of silt that was going into this Colorado River and system. So um, there was this, this big fight between the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance and the Sierra Club um, saying that's baloney. They're just trying to uh, get more grazing lands. And um, they're not going to make a big difference in erosion. Um, anyway, that's just one of, I can, I'm sure, countless projects that have been fought over. Um, and so you're asking, is there a solution that fights are still going on? And as we all know, land issues are just hot, a hot topic. And for me, um, even though I believe there's been some pretty big land management mistakes, um, I just want to say I feel really sad when people think we're going to do better by taking the land away from the uh, agencies that have been managing it. Because I think we're getting smarter and smarter and um, more sensitive to the big picture um, in land management. One of the one of the managers you went out with um, on, on one of your trips uh, struck my imagination because he's a, he's an outsider. He chose to come here. Keith Olive, who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. uh, originally from Georgia. What brought him out mm-hmm. west? And then, what? Uh, tell me a little bit about his perspectives uh, on on the, on the west, the place he's now calling home. Yeah. Well, I think he. Uh, I can't remember exactly what brought him out at skiing or something, but he had a degree in history, and he um, ended up with a fuels reduction program at the BLM. And basically, that does involve taking juniper trees out but also fighting fires. And he said, um, first, I didn't understand why we were killing all these junipers, but now he sees that, oh, there's more elk um, where we take them out, and um, he's thinking it's a huge benefit. And I think it can be a benefit to take them out, and I also think it can be a big mistake. Um, My perspective is each piece of land is different, and it's not just my perspective. And we can, it's not going to necessarily solve everything to just take them out, because they come back. If they are growing there happily, they're going to come back. Um, but anyway, uh, Keith Olive, he, he, um, he loves the West. He goes, you know, it has this beauty. I love the desert now. Yeah, I could, I could imagine. I, I could I could kind of feel that he comes out and he sees this hot, dry place. <laughs> I wonder what he thinks. He says he loves it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was he was a big help along with other um, uh, employees to BLM and other agencies were were really generous in in helping explain all this to me. So that's where I saw the bull hog in action with him. 
And you have a picture, wow. in the, you have a photo in the book of this uh, bull hog as well. We just have a couple of minutes left. I wonder, um, maybe a you know wrap up question here. You've you you spent a long time studying uh, juniper trees. You you do try to get out and just be. Is, is that the main mm-hmm. takeaway? Help us to get out there. What uh, what's the takeaway? Well, um, I think if we can just actually get out of our own um, minds in terms of, like, what's going on in my life or what's going on in politics and just open our eyes and hearts to the wider environment, um, I think we'll be better as a people. Um, So... I guess my takeaway is go out into the forest, um, learn about... I, there's a lot to be said about history and what how that connects us through time and space with other organisms and other people. So um, I'd say enjoy learning and being both, and and hopefully we can... Uh, as we connect through these natural places, we can have these conversations that are so difficult um, and so polarizing, and we can start to open up to other people as well as um, other possibilities of how to both preserve the land and, um, and live on it in the way we need to. Well, the book is uh, is well. Thank you. The book is interwoven: junipers and the web of being. It's out from University of Utah Press. The author is Christian Rogers Iverson, and she has joined us for the hour. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. That was a lot of fun. And uh, coming up uh, this week, we're going to have a conversation uh, with Linda Shaver Gleason. She's a musicologist. She specializes in reception, the way audiences assign meaning to music they hear. She also writes a blog called Not Another Music History Cliché. She covers everything from uh, snobbery to composer hero worship. We're going to talk about the world of classical music and where it is today. And uh, later in the week, we'll also be talking with a social scientist who studies interactions of the social science with government. We'll talk about police body cams and other topics as well. All that's coming up this week. Hope you'll uh, stay with us. Thanks for listening today.